Hello, my name is uh, Jan Scruggs in Annapolis, Maryland. I was born in Washington, D.C. I'm actually famous, somewhat semi-famous, for being the person who created the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. It was an idea I had uh, when I was, uh, right after I had testified in front of Congress in support of a bill to help veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder, which I suffered from. And uh, anyway, uh, the memorial got built and uh, gets millions of visitors every year. It's a good thing. So I meet all these interesting people and I have these podcasts. And uh, it's funny, I, I don't you know talk about my personal problems on podcasts, but I have to make an exception for this. I've been having problems with my door on the rear of my house on the patio. So somebody sues me an email from Doyle Glass. I said, mm -hmm. oh, my God, this may be, I guess there is a God. And he intervenes <laughs> in little things like that. That's fantastic. Well, it turns out he is not going to be able to repair my uh, the door. It's a hella door. I think he'd do a very good job. He's a highly intelligent person and a sculptor, and lawyer. So let me tell you his life story in a nutshell. <clears throat> Born 1962. Married three kids, a five-generation family. So I bet you've got cowboy boots. You know how to ride a horse. You know how to break a horse. I've done it. You've Not in a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to be patient. Not a long time. <laughs> well, and uh, he's he was a big prosecutor and just fell in love with uh, the great uh, state of Kentucky and a beautiful place. And uh, but he decided and he was a good lawyer and interesting lawyer, interesting law, prosecuting people who, you know, murderers and criminals and all that sort of thing. I guess he just got tired of it and he felt a calling. And uh, there was a, this calling was uh, to be a historian, to be an author, to be a sculptor. And I have to say. Well, you have fries with that. I mean, how do you learn earn a living doing this? But you know what? He's actually done pretty doggone good. He uh, actually did the sculpting for the Medal of Honor Memorial in, in Kentucky. And uh, the Texas uh, Medal of Honor Memorial, uh, he's responsible for that. Uh, he's got a, quite a few books out. As a matter of fact, what I'm going to do when the podcast ends is go on Amazon and Get a couple of them, actually. I feel like, like military history, but I'm going to get Swift Sword about a bunch of Marines who got themselves caught in an impossible situation. So the floor is yours, Mr. Doyle Glass. <laughs> well, Jan, uh, it's an honor to be here, and I want to thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast. Thank you for your service, and thank you for your work with the Vietnam Wall. That is I've been there twice, and although, of course, I didn't serve, I'm not a veteran, it's still in incredibly moving uh, for me to see that and experience that. Uh, I, Yes, I've, I've kind of been around from Texas, went to Kentucky, have returned to Texas, and long story short, in 2008, I began work on a second book about uh, uh, Marines in Vietnam, uh, 
I wrote a first, my first book, Lions of Medina, and was uh, so pumped about that experience that I wanted to write a second. So I started uh, interviewing, or first I searched for uh, an impossible battle situation, just something that um, I had to pick, forced to pick. And it was, it was always going to be the Vietnam War because as a child of the 60s, uh, I heard about the veterans, uh, you guys fighting, and uh, always felt a sense of, of honor about what you guys were doing. And then, of course, not real happy about the overall reception after the war and, and what you guys experienced. So I wanted to write something to uh, really record an impossible situation and a possible battle. So I came across Operation Swift and specifically September 4th, 1967, uh, interviewed J.D. Murray, who was the commander of Mike Company 3-5 on Operation Swift, and wrote the book, published in 2014, Swift Sword, but always felt that something was lacking from that first edition. Yeah. And what I realized, and I went back in an email that J.D. Murray sent, is that your book needs to be like E.B. Sledge's memoir of World War II um, with the old breed, meaning that experience. Of course, I could not relay that experience. I'm not a veteran. I've never seen combat. The first edition of the book was lacking. I went back, found all the old interviews, and this last year have included the words of those men themselves several of them who have passed away already uh, since the initial interviews. Oh, sure. So Swift Sword is now truly told by the men that experienced it. And that's what's truly exciting because I, my hope that this book, Swift Sword, will would do for the Vietnam veteran what E.B. Sledge's memoir did for the World War II Marine veteran uh, in a, as close a way to show the actual combat experience uh, for someone that's never seen it as close as that can occur and to honor that experience and to not forget our Vietnam veterans and what, what they went through. So um, in a nutshell, just about what happened on Operation Swift, it began in the early morning hours of September 4th when Delta Company 1-5 uh, was ambushed by an over overwhelming force of NVA. Uh, the fight was for the Quezon region and valley. Uh, the North Vietnamese felt that the Americans were going to overtake that and in preparation for the Tet Offensive, uh, put in units of the second NVA to prevent that. And frankly, to inflict as many casualties on the Americans as possible in order to turn the war um, opinion of the war and the home front against it, which ultimately that was a successful strategy. So Delta one five was uh, outnumbered. Uh, their perimeter was pierced. Their company commander killed. They were in danger of being overrun Bravo 15, which was at Hill 51, which kilometer or so away, was sent to their relief, but that still was not enough. Uh, Huff was called in, artillery was called in, 
it wasn't looking good. So uh, the word went out to uh, 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines at Hill 63, which was 20 kilometers away from Hill 51, to send help. Uh, Mike 35 was a bald eagle company, meaning a, a quick reaction force to be sent basically to the rescue of any units in trouble. Uh, a little background, the Quezon region is, uh, is, ex is expansive, it's large, and there were not many Marine units available to control the region. In fact, they couldn't control the region. They were, they were outnumbered. It, way, out bad, way outnumbered, bad situation. So Lieutenant Murray, he was a lieutenant at the time, uh, had combat experience, which a lot of his men and his commanders did not have was basically called and chopped Ocon to 1-5 to come to their relief. So this is that story of, it was actually Mike 3-5 and another company, Kilo 3-5, that were airlifted to the region and uh, went to the aid of Delta and Bravo 1-5. And the were initial battle- by helicopter? Yes, they were they were sent in by I think it was CH sixty fours or forty six the C nice yeah, the big banana looking thing the big banana looking thing and interestingly enough the the word went out that a lot of those uh, transports were to be grounded because of rotor problems yeah. but they used them anyway because that's that's all they have yeah. and as as I'm sure you well know also the men were armed with the new M16. Yes. A lot of problems with that. Oh, and, it was uh, yeah, yeah. a major jamming, uh, huge, cost a lot of lives, many, many lives. So these men were uh, sent in, outnumbered, uh, outgunned because of the M16 leadership issues. Mm. Uh, the, the, the platoon commanders of Mike 3-5 had been in country for maybe three months straight out of the basic school, had never seen combat. Lieutenant Murray had seen combat, and that turned out to be a saving grace because the company was ambushed. And I don't want to give away uh, the book, but uh, very, very hard, tough situation. Kind of reminds me of the Battle of the Alamo or, or the Thermopylae as far as being outnumbered and outgunned and this battle turned out differently and like i say i don't want to give anything away but great heroism great stories uh, i'm was honored to talk with these guys and am still in communication but like i said i'd say seven of the main veterans that i've interviewed seven or even eight have passed away since 2008 uh, a lot of that is cancer related uh, yeah. possibly agent orange yeah related. So it's just been an honor for me to go back and put their words, let them tell the story, not me, and to re-release this book. So this edition, the second edition is imminent. It should be on Amazon within the next three weeks. It's not quite up yet. We're doing Good. the final edits. I'm going to do an audible and just get the word out as, as much as possible. Incredible story, incredible bravery. Two Medal of Honor honors were awarded on September 4th, two Navy Crosses, three Silver Stars, 
numerous bronze stars. And all that does is illustrate the, the men as a whole, the bravery and the, the truly tough situation that they were put in, but they uh, endured. Yeah. So that's in a nutshell what the book is about. Um, and like I said, it's just been a great experience for me to be able to tell it and to preserve the history. Yeah. Well, they certainly had their hands full. <clears throat> and uh, when you were talking to these guys, did any, any of them ever venture into the area of what, what PTSD and how it affected their lives, alcoholism, other problems? That some, it, yeah. it was some veterans I could, was not able to speak to because of that. Uh, it was just too difficult to go back and relive those experiences. So I was very uh, aware of how difficult it it could be to relate, to, to tell their story. And I relied on uh, JD Murray predominantly about who can I reach out to who I couldn't. So a number of guys, I just couldn't speak with. They Uh, couldn't do it. Right. They just just told you, look, I can't talk about it. They'll break down and crying and all that. Exactly. Exactly. Something. Yeah. And that uh, I would say there there were several, I don't remember the exact number, but several of the the guys that I reached out to and, or I did not reach out to based on what the other veterans were saying about what that could do. So I was very aware specifically to answer your question. They didn't really go into the details of what it was like afterward, uh, but I, I could certainly tell that it was uh, a lot of in the interviews, a lot of the guys would just simply talk. And you could definitely tell that the experiences were with them 40 years later, that like it was yesterday. And it didn't help that uh, with some of the veterans, when they returned home, they were not treated well. And that uh, one of the key platoon sergeants who's passed away talked about how he was called baby killer in San Francisco when he came home and that to answer your question, that sort of uh, initial negative welcome home, I think, and I don't know for sure compounded the PTSD problems and, and made it very difficult. So to answer your question, I didn't really go, I didn't ask them. I was very aware and concerned about that, but it was clear to me that the experience still haunts them to this day. Uh, But on a positive note, the brotherhood that the men have to this very day uh, is a bond that's incredible to see. And to, uh, I I was lucky enough in 2009 to go to Vietnam and actually go to the swift battlefield with these guys. And I was able to witness that camaraderie which was an incredible, incredible bond. What I learned from this is that these Marines fought for themselves. And that was, it's just an honor to witness that. Yeah. Do these guys keep in touch with each other? I mean, the internet is a wild and crazy place, but uh, I belong to 199th Infantry Brigade, this little army unit. And there's always, you know, 50, 60 people. He puts something up there and somebody will get back to you. These guys keep in touch in that way or other ways. They have reunions and 
some of the reunions, especially say 10 years ago, were, were pretty going, were going strong. I know that a lot of the guys took two to three trips back to Vietnam. I was oh. like, I, said, I was on one, uh, but, but unfortunately some of the, a lot of the, I mean, I just had a veteran who cleared up some key information for me recently, just simply just pass away. So I, I, they still have the reunions. I don't know how many people are attending, but I do know they still keep in touch. Definitely. I'm one of the youngest Vietnam veterans who I I run into and I'm 72. I'll be 73 in March, but most guys probably who were in that battle were probably three years older than me. And that would, uh, yeah, put them. Yeah. In the, in the mid seventies. And if you were exposed to the types of chemicals, herbicides, like agent orange, you were exposed to that stuff. Uh, that's when it would sort of all kick in and a lot of these people just die and uh, prematurely. It's uh, just sad. Very sad. And and one, one of the veterans who has passed away told me that they just used agent orange as a, you know, a defoliant. They just, I mean, it was, it was basically your weed killer. Sure. Yeah. And they run control, just walk right through it every day. So kind of amazing, but you know, it, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like using Roundup on your, uh, on your lawn. Right. Roundup. I'm, exactly. not, sure, I'm not sure it's a good idea either, quite frankly. No. I think it is. I don't <laughs> yeah. think it is. Yeah. Now, so you, you are consider yourself to be a writer, a historian. Yes, sir. I've, I've written. Like, yeah. Two you took cases, uh, law cases. Not anymore. Uh, I, uh, my career as a prosecutor in Texas and Kentucky was a, a great one. Yeah. And then I turned to art. I, the two, I've sculpted two Medal of Honor memorials, one for Kentucky and then one for Texas. And uh, the memorial for Texas was based, both both uh, statues are based on individuals. And I was lucky enough to meet George O'Brien, who was from my hometown of Midland, Texas, and he earned the Medal of Honor during the Korean War, uh, and then for Kentucky, a young uh, recipient who was killed at Anzio, John Squires. Oh. So that kind of fed my uh, need for history and to to learn about these individuals, and but then to honor the men from both states, and then that kind of branched over into writing and i'm now working on a, a narrative nonfiction book about a race car driver french a race car driver who was a who went to work for uh churchill's soe yeah uh, special operations executive so that's going to be a new that one's a couple of years away maybe a year away but my profound enjoyment is the true stories the real yeah. stories the real people that was so great about Swift Sword was uh, going back and I had all the interviews transcribed, all 50 interviews and just reread them all again. And the um, the amazing words that come out the from the people that were there, that it's 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 a great experience. It's a great experience. Uh, all, I'm, all I was doing is, put, is putting the pieces of a puzzle together. That's the way I looked at it. A, a difficult puzzle. Well, as time approaches here, uh, I got to ask you one question, 
Now, how do you properly pronounce the capital of of, uh, of Kentucky? Is it Louisville or Louisville? Well, Frankfurt is the actual capital. <laughs> All right. I, I thought uh, I'd get you on that. I thought I'd get you. <laughs> <laughs> I used to work in Frankfurt. Uh, the city, though, is Louisville. And a lot of people say Louisville. And uh, no, Louisville. I, I've always said Louisville. 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 And, Louisville. Yeah. yeah, I haven't been back in a while, but it's a great town. Oh yeah, yeah. I have a lot of lot of people, a lot of friends from there. Um, of course, yeah. my son was born there. He lives in Nashville now. So, oh. if you if you love horses, there's nothing quite like Kentucky. That's right. the The horse farms are near Versailles. Are they're, they're it's pretty incredible. The Bourbon Trail too. Yes. Yeah. It's outstanding. But your part of the country is. I love visiting the Naval Academy. I tell you that. Uh, that the history I can see there. Naval Academy from my house. I see the wow. the chapel. Yeah. It's a wonderful place to visit and the midshipmen. These are these kids are so bright. It's really quite quite extraordinary. It is. It is. And I have a friend of mine that lives not far from you and football season will come and watch a game at the, to watch the midshipmen play and he's got a house with water and takes his boat out but just a beautiful region. Yeah. Good. I'll, uh, will you keep keep up the good work, cranking out those books? You're doing the Lord's work, and uh, these stories need to be told because they inspire other people. And, uh, you know, we got to be careful in American foreign policy and get involved in these military conflicts. Got to make sure that, that it's the right thing to do and we go in there to win and get it over with as quick as we can. And uh, we haven't learned as much as we maybe should have from the Vietnam experience, but uh, it's being commemorated and celebrated, by the way, May 11, 12, and 13 in Washington, D.C. Looking forward to being a part of that, and I'm one of the advisors. So anyway, just old retired guy hanging around, but uh, having fun, <laughs> and I think this will be a great podcast, and I'll send it to you so you can shoot it off to everybody, and and uh, I wish you the very best of uh weekends ahead. Outstanding. Thank you, sir. It's a great honor to speak with you. God bless America. God bless America. Exactly. Thanks very much. Thanks.